0: here as well, uh, but how might God be inviting us to give more? Basically, we're talking about generosity. Is this on? No. We are now. All right, hopefully this lasts. Uh, Last week, I essentially explored what comes before generosity, What comes before, before we can even think about giving, before we even think about being generous, run me up some batteries here. So, we're kind of a mega church and we, uh, we want to be perfect in all that we do, right? Uh, no vulnerability, no screw-ups ever. That's kind of the church that we are, right? So I, I apologize. I'm sure this will be the last time that I will screw up in front of all of you. Uh, I, I promise. I promise you it will be the last time ever. Uh, well, like I said, last week we kind of explored what happens before generosity. Before we are generous, uh, God was generous. Why should we be generous? Because, because God is an incredibly generous God. He has blessed us with all of life, and anything that we have is actually His anyway, right? He has abundantly given, and it's not ours anyway. So before we are ever even mindful of being generous, God has been generous on our behalf. And so we're just kind of being generous in response, uh, because God has been generous to us. This week, I want to explore a, a slightly different take on generosity, essentially exploring what happens after generosity. After we are generous, what happens? What is the result of generosity? What does generosity do? But first I want to I want to just set us up a little bit uh, with a few thoughts on generosity in general we talked about it last week uh, but mostly we just talked about God's generosity uh, but uh, we didn't exactly define generosity. So a few thoughts on generosity in general before we uh, jump into what does generosity do. So what is generosity? On a most basic level, generosity is sharing our things, right? We, we share the things that we have with others. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. We're, it's giving up something so that others can have something. Uh, it's us having less so that others can have more. Uh, And and that's noble and good and worthy of being celebrated, and we should share the things that we have, but that is not the whole picture of generosity. If it were so, we would think of paying our taxes as being generous. And I don't know about most of you, but when I submit my taxes, generosity is not usually the emotion that's in my heart, right? I'm not... I don't think I'm alone in this. We don't typically exhibit a spirit of generosity while paying our taxes, but generally one of bitterness and anger, even though we're sharing. So there must be something deeper to generosity than just the transaction of us giving something that we have over to somebody else. The, the other piece of generosity involves having the right attitude or being in the right spirit as we give. Generosity comes from a place of wanting to give and to help. Taxes are something we're forced to give. right? And, and they're not necessarily bad, but that's, there's a difference here. Generosity comes from thinking about what's best for others. Taxes usually involve me thinking about myself. I don't want to give. I want to get as much back on my refund it's usually there 's a selfish nature to me when I think about give being forced to give or generosity. This is something that I, I want to do and I want to think about what 's best for others. I think John Wesley captures the truest sense of generosity when he invites us to watch over one another in love. It's a phrase he used often, to watch over one another in love. I love that. Generosity means that we want to help. We want to give because we love. We love one another and we want to give out of that love. I think about Jesus. He wasn't generous In the giving of his life, just because the Romans tacked him to a pole and took life from him, he was generous because he freely gave himself up. The generosity came in the fact that he didn't have to be up on that tree. He could have done something else, and yet he was generous because he freely gave up his life, forsaking his own life for the sake of others out of pure love. And so in the same way, we are called to help, to give, to be generous out of a spirit of love. That's what generosity is really about. So with that said, the thing I really want to explore this morning is what does generosity do to us? How are we formed in the process of generosity? We we talk often at our church about helping others and how significant that is and you all are so great at being generous for the sake of others, but I believe that generosity is equally as important to us. It doesn't just help somebody out there it actually does something to us and for us it does something profound in us it changes us in significant ways and so i would say that generosity is the path to godliness you want to be godly you you want to live like the scriptures teach us you want your life to matter you want to live the way of jesus then a spirit of generosity is crucial we have to be generous it will take us down that path toward living a holy, godly life that Scripture invites us into. Generosity is the path to godliness. And, all, and Scripture is full of stories that echo this truth throughout uh, all of Scripture. But I, uh, I want to take us to a, a few specific places. If you want to follow along, you can. That would be fantastic. But I want us to go first to uh, Luke chapter 19. Uh, So if you want to follow along, you can. I don't know if it'll be on the screen. It may not be. Uh, But Luke chapter 19, and this is a familiar story, the story of Zacchaeus, the the wee little man uh, that that we all know from Sunday school growing up. But uh, let's start Luke 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to the guest of a sinner. Uh, Gone to be the guest. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord. Uh, here and now I give half of all my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, "Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save what is lost. Now this is a really interesting story. We've read this a million times, but I love this story. Jesus Jesus doesn't do anything in the story, right? Almost nothing. There's no, there's no sermon given. There's no chastising uh, of Zacchaeus. He doesn't say anything except, uh, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. That's the only thing Jesus does in the entire story. There's no bold, eloquent, convicting statements to convince Zacchaeus of his faults, of his terrible way of living, that the way he's been cheating and taking advantage of people for years. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't tell him how much he should give back. Jesus simply offers Zacchaeus the generosity of his presence. And for Zacchaeus, he t- here he takes his first steps Of faithfulness and godliness. And the catalyst, the thing that changes everything for him, is the practice of hospitality. There's nothing said, there's nothing done, there's really no reason that he should have turned his his life over, he wouldn't have had to have given back any amount of money, let alone alone four times the amount that he had cheated people, nothing. He wouldn't have had to have done anything, uh, and yet... In the, pro- in the process of practicing hospitality, uh, of inviting Jesus into his home, something begins to change for Zacchaeus. The, the tipping point for him is this opportunity to practice generosity, to actually do it, to actually welcome somebody. Uh, and of course... Jesus doesn't really give him an option. He kind of just says, I'm coming. And yet, in the, in the process of this, genero- this generous act, uh, Zacchaeus' heart has suddenly been captivated, and, and he's suddenly turning over a new leaf. He's, he's a new man, and almost in an instant, uh, because of generosity. The text here even says that that he and his family were saved that day, and there's no reason to think that that's not some sort of eternal salvation, but Zacchaeus also got saved that day from a nasty life of unfaithfulness and and ungodliness. Everything changes for him in this act of generosity, and suddenly Zacchaeus is on a new path uh, of following Jesus. Generosity was his path to godliness. Uh, uh, let's move forward one chapter to Luke 20. Uh, another really familiar passage for us. Uh, what we know as the, the widow's gift. Uh, so I'm going to start us uh, in at the end of chapter 20 and then we'll move into the beginning of chapter 21. Uh, so this is Luke 20 starting in... Uh, verse 45, while all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely, so these teachers here are anything but generous. They are the opposite of generosity. They only think of themselves they 're propping themselves up by making themselves look great they 've gotten to the point where they 're even purposefully hurting others in order to help themselves. These widows that are in debt they 're taking their homes away from them uh, for their own gain and not for the gain of, of others. This is the opposite of generosity. But then the text continues, Luke 21. Uh, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw how a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This poor woman becomes the perfect epitome of generosity. She's the last person that we would expect to learn something about generosity from, and yet she becomes the epitome of generosity. Everyone is giving such huge amounts and aren't afraid to flaunt it, while this woman gives such a small amount of money. Like, really, really small. The word here for coins is lepta. So she gives two leptas. uh, And it takes 128 leptas to make a denarius. And a denarius is a day's wage. So this is basically one 64th of a day's wage uh, for them. Uh, She essentially gives nothing. Basically, she gives nothing. Uh, It was totally inconsequential in human terms. It wouldn't have moved the dial on the temple budget one iota. She gives nothing that day, and yet Jesus praises her as having given more than anyone else. She gave the greatest of gifts. This is a massive gift. Given out of her poverty, she gives all that she had. Uh, A couple things stand out to me in this story. Uh, The first is that this, this widow is a living example of what I talked about last week, about the abundance of God. She gives all that she has because she beautifully trusts in God's abundant grace that he will provide for her despite her poverty and scarcity. No matter what comes, I'll put my money in trusting that God will take care of me. She's the perfect example of what I talked about last week. But the second thing I notice is that uh, we're still talking about her. We're still talking about her 2,000 years later. And I think that's because she is this beautiful example of how to live well. She, she lives so well that, that two of the gospel writers feel it imperative to include this little four-verse snippet Uh, They they could have included so many other stories, and yet two of the writers, Mark and Luke, include this woman in in their Gospels that that they write. And here today, we're talking about her 2,000 years later. Oh, that we would all live such rich, beautiful, generous lives that people would tell tales, even if we're not giving much. That we would give out of our poverty and we would give out of our love for other people Oh, that that we would live such beautiful, rich, generous lives. Uh, And then finally, I I want you to turn over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, This is a a story of the incredible generosity of the Macedonian churches. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting with verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy. And their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urged, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they went beyond our expectations. Having given themselves first of all to the Lord, they gave themselves by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, uh, just as he had early, earlier made a beginning, to, to, bring us, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of living." I am not commanding you, but I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Uh, This church was extremely poor, yet still chose to be incredibly generous again two things stand out for me when i when i read this passage the first thing i see is that generosity manifests itself in what verse 7 calls a grace for living i love that phrase a grace for living generosity has turned these folks into a certain type of people and it is strikingly stunningly compellingly lovely this is a beautiful way to live uh, so much so that the writer here calls it uh, a, a graceful living. They're, this is a, they have, they have a, they're living well. They're living beautifully. They're in tune with the way God intended the world. Uh, and, and I think there's a message for us here that as we give and learn to be generous at our core, the result is a graceful life in harmony with a gracious God. Uh, and the opposite is true as well. That living a stingy, hoarding, greedy life turns us into a certain type of person as well, uh, and I've been there before. Uh, I've I maybe told this story before, uh, but some of you weren't here at the time. But I can uh, I can remember when we first moved to Seattle. Uh, everything was kind of new, and uh, I had here. I'm going to the seminary, and I have to walk from the bus stop about seven or eight blocks, and I'm walking past some of the poorest people that I've ever met in my life. And I never experienced this sort of thing. And I found myself uh, at a certain point uh, starting to be kind of judgmental. And I was uh, in an instant kind of deciding who was worthy of my loose change. Everyone's asking. Everyone's begging. Everyone wanted something from me. Uh, But the sum I would give because, yeah, you look... You look pretty responsible, and I don't think that you're going to waste it on booze or drugs or whatever. But then I'd find myself doing the opposite, saying, Oh, I don't know about that guy. It looks a little sketchy. And I'd avert my eyes and walk right past. And I found myself becoming this judgmental person, that my lack of generosity was actually hardening my heart and turning me into the kind of person that I did not want to be. And so I actually uh, started pulling money out of the bank, and I would I would carry about... 10 or 15 singles on me at any time, and, and for a period of time, I just needed to give to everyone who asked. If, if you're asking, you get a dollar. Because for me, I needed to be transformed by generosity. I needed generosity to turn my heart into something that was beautiful and good and not hard and cold any longer. Generosity has a way of turning us into a certain kind of person that is beautiful and and the Apostle Paul calls it grace for living. But equally, it has a way of uh, our, our lack of generosity, our stinginess, can harden us and turn us into a type of person that we would never want to be. Uh, The second thing that stands out here is that generosity transforms us into people who care for others and strive for them to experience the grace of living. Generosity does something within me, but it also, as I give, it makes me want to give more. Uh, and it's, it's kind of a weird thing that uh, there's a cycle that starts to be created. That I get turned into a person who wants to help even more. I help, it, it turns me into a certain type of person, and then I want to help more. It, it creates in me a grace for living, and I want other people to experience that graceful life as well. And so I want to be all the more generous. And, and we, we see this, like in verse 5 here. The church gave themselves by the will of God also to us. They're giving to everyone. Uh, They gave to those who had need, but they're giving to everyone. And later on in verse 9, Jesus gives himself for us so that you through his poverty might become rich. Uh, He's generous. It turns him into a certain kind of person, and it makes him want to give of himself uh, all the more. Generosity leads to a graceful way of living, but also leads us to a place where we are desperate to help others. We willingly give up our own time, energy, resources, money for the sake of others. I came across this story uh, a while ago, and, and I was thinking about it this week. Uh, it's a story in Ron Sider's book, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. A uh, fantastic kind of classic book on... on a. Uh, helping people uh, on on uh, and, and so uh, I can't, I was remembering this story and so I just want to read this story for you because I think it it illustrates what I'm talking about here. Uh, this is what he says: One day, a man with a serious drinking problem dropped in to talk with Virgil Vogt one of the elders of Reba Place Fellowship in Evanston, Illinois. When Virgil invited him to accept Christ and to join the community of believers, the man insisted that he simply wanted, a money, for, wanted money for a bus ticket to Cleveland. Uh, and then Virgil goes on. Okay, Virgil agreed. We can give you that kind of help too if that's, what all, if that's all you really want. He was quiet a moment, then he shook his head. You know something, he said, looking straight at the man? You've just really let me off the hook. Because if you had chosen a new way of life in the kingdom of God, then as your brother, I would have had to have laid down my whole life for you. This house, my time, all my money, whatever you needed to meet your needs would have been totally at your disposal for the rest of your life. But all you want is some money for a bus ticket. The man was so startled that he stood up and left, forgetting to take the money. But on Sunday, he was back, this time again, sitting next to Virgil in the worship service. Uh, I, there's something that happens when we become generous people uh, Uh, We get transformed. Obviously this elder had been transformed by the practice of generosity and it just oozed out of him in the form of love and care for others, in watching over one another in love. Something that had been transformed within him and he was desperate to help others. Uh, It was at the core of who he was. So I'm inviting us this morning into a spirit of, of generosity not just to give but to give for all the right reasons and to want to give knowing that this will transform us knowing that that practicing generosity will carry us down the path of godliness will help us be more devoted followers of jesus and will ultimately be a blessing to our world so, so we have this choice each and every day we can hoard our things or we can, we can give generously to care for others, to watch over one another in love. Uh, Bren, Brennan Manning says, In every encounter, we either give life or we drain it. There is no neutral exchange. In every encounter, we either give life or we drain it. There is no neutral exchange. Each day will present us with a myriad of opportunities to either give life, or drain it away from people, to be generous or to be selfish, to bless or to curse. Uh, Author Joshua Becker says, It doesn't matter if my next encounter is a short conversation, an email, a meal, or a four-hour business meeting. It always offers me the same opportunity to brighten another's existence by breathing life into theirs. So I'm inviting us into a spirit of generosity this morning. But this is too practical of a topic to end without some practical ways to respond. So as we close, I want to just offer up a couple practical ways that we can respond with a spirit of generosity. This uh, is a topic that requires action. It's not something you just study It's something you do. It's no good to just study about generosity if it doesn't actually manifest itself in us being more generous. As 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God involves doing something, of putting our hands and feet, uh, our finances, our pocketbooks into action. And generosity the same way. You don't just talk about being generous you are generous. Uh, too often we, f- we want to feel generous before we act generously. True generosity is an act of obedience. So this week, I'm inviting us all into trying our best to actually be generous. Uh, so there's a few ways that I can think of doing this. Uh, there's a few ways that our church is trying to be generous in this Christmas season All right, we have our mitten tree at the back of the church there's ways that you can give through that uh, giving uh, mittens to uh, to kids that are in our uh, uh, our HRDC program and that are in the Head Start program here in the Valley, so please give generously to the mitten tree. We're going to open up uh, opportunities for you to give to the angel tree as well over the Christmas season here in the next couple weeks, so please be looking for ways to give generously through our church. But this week, uh, I want you to move through life, through your lives, uh, with a couple thoughts in, in your mind, and they both come from Matthew chapter 5, which is in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so I want to give you a couple thoughts to, to kind of have in your brain uh, as you're walking through your life uh, this week. Uh, in, in Matthew 5, uh, this is one of the paragraphs in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and, and you could probably almost say it by memory. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. So uh, in the spirit of Mark Scandrett, who was here just a couple weeks ago uh, speaking with our church, uh, I want to offer up a couple of experiments that maybe you can have in your mind and maybe you you can be trying over this week as we're seeking to to embody the spirit uh, of generosity. The first one comes exactly from Mark Scandrett. It's something he talks about in one of his books uh, and he even mentioned it in passing while he was here. But he's, a, he's done this a number of times with groups where he's done an experiment called have two, give one. And essentially, it comes straight out of this passage, right? If you have two coats, give one away to somebody who's in need. And, and so I want that idea to kind of be in your brain throughout the week. Have two, give one. Are there things in your life where you have more than you need? You have more resources than you need. You have two of something and you don't really need to have two of something, what if there is a way for you to give that to somebody who could desperately need a few, a, a few more resources uh, in their lives? Have to give one. I, I want that phrase to be in your brain as, as you go throughout your week. Have to give one. What do I have? What has God blessed me with? And how can I be willing to give? How can I have a spirit of generosity and be willing to give uh, of, of my excess? of the things that I don't need in my closet anyway, of the things, the tools I don't need in my garage anyway, of, I don't know what, of the food that's in my pantry that's going to go bad anyway and I'm never going to get to, can I, can I give from my, my abundance? So that's the first thing. Have two, give one. And the other thing, I thought it was from him, and I texted him, and it's not from him, so I guess I'm inventing this myself. But uh, I, wonder, I wonder what our life would look like if, uh, if we kind of walked through our world uh, with the line, give to everyone who asks in our brain. Like, what if ever, everyone we encountered, uh, every situation we were in, uh, if somebody asked, we were willing to give. Uh, and sometimes that, that might not be realistic, but I think often it might be. What if at least for a seven-day period, we were willing to just give it a try. If somebody asks me for something, I'm going to do my darndest to try to give that to them. And if it's something that's realistic, it's yours. You asked me on the right week. You, you caught me in a generous moment. But for this week, what have we gave to everyone who asks? Uh, so a couple thoughts for us uh, as, as we come to a conclusion. What do you have more of that you don't really need? And what if you just had a spirit of generosity all the time and you were willing to give to everyone who asks of you? So I'm inviting you to move out into your world in a spirit of generosity. Remember that God is an abundant God. He's created an abundant world and we can freely give abundantly knowing that God will continue to abundantly provide. Remember that generosity is the path to godliness. That if you want to live the way of God, the way of Jesus, then you have to be generous. It is central to the way of Jesus, and generosity helps us to experience a more grace-filled life, the grace of living. And let us open-handedly engage with our world and generously love our neighbors through giving our excess to those in need and to giving to everyone who asks with the spirit of generosity. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you provide for us. Help us to do the same for those in our lives, in our world, in our circles, and maybe even people we don't really know. Help us to be generous in all that we do and say and the ways that we act throughout this week. God, we need... We need generosity. We need your generosity. And so we need to be generous as well. Help us to do that knowing that it will create within us a grace for living, a more beautiful, whole, grace-filled life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. couple of quick announcements on the back of your bulletin.